Hey, this is Ian Jackson. Thanks for checking out The Analog Show. This week, I sat down with Bonjuing Lee, the man behind the food and travel blog, Ulterior Epicure. Bonjuing is a travel and food photographer and is essentially a nomad considering how much time he spends on the road each year. We talk photography and why so many of his projects are relationship-driven. We also touch on some of the work he has coming up this summer. Naturally, we spend a fair amount of time discussing food and coffee, and I pick his brain on his favorite places to travel. The thing I love most about Bonjuing and his photography is that he's really about the experience rather than dissecting each course he consumes. It's evident that he loves history and architecture, and these passions absolutely add context to the places, restaurants, chefs, and meals that he shoots. I appreciate all the feedback that I received from episode one and really hope you guys enjoy this week's show. Uh, make sure to check out Bonjuing on Instagram at Ulterior Epicure. And uh, if you have guests that you'd like to recommend to the show, email us at hello at analogshow.com. Let's go. How's your week been? Uh, can't complain. It's been kind of just low key. Just okay. kind of preparing for the storm after after this after next week. I'm going to be traveling quite a bit. So yeah, where are you heading? I've got a wedding in Los Angeles next weekend, and then the following week I have a photo, photo shoot in Minneapolis, and then I go straight to Chicago for the James Beard Awards. And then I come home actually for a couple of few weeks in May. And then, uh, then I leave at the end of May, and then I only have forty-eight hours at home in the month of June. That's so. crazy. <laughs> yeah, I won't complain about my travel, but <laughs> no, I, I don't actually. I, I love what I do, so I, it doesn't bother me. It's just you know, from being gone a lot, that logistically there are only certain there are certain things you kind of you have to be home yeah. for, and that's more no of the doubt. stuff that, like you know, today I was out, you know, mowing the lawn and stuff like that so it's funny it's the stuff i miss too it's like the little like the mundane things i don't miss that i don't miss mowing the lawn but but um but yeah just, i mean just things that you know you just can't do while you're away you know i have a printer or scanner at home you know when you're on the road you know finding printing stuff out is hard you know just logistical administrative stuff yeah no doubt i guess we'll start uh start with did you grow up in uh, kansas city yeah i was born and raised here Cool. Um, lived here all the way, went through all the way through high school, and then I moved away for college and work, and and then returned uh, a decade later. Yeah, I love uh, I love Kansas City. I, I you don't, do. I do actually. I, I yeah. haven't been there in God. It's been almost a year, but uh, I covered it for work for for a long time, and so I was there once a month and missed the barbecue. Yeah, <laughs> that's nice to hear. It's nice to hear that people from outside of Kansas City like Kansas City. I have an affinity for the Midwest, and and I, th- I feel like Kansas City is one of those like iconic Midwest cities. It very much is. It very much is. You know, it's funny. For years, I've been I've been uh, not so much arguing, but trying to convince my Southern friends that Missouri is actually a Southern state. And uh, you know, I, I've given them all this, I think, pretty good evidence that Missouri should be a Southern state and that it's not a midwestern state um you know it, it it's the only non-southern state that has a bar has a barbecue culture yep and if arguably the one of the strongest and probably the best or the most well-known at least i should say and then also it was the it's the only non-southern state that was a slave state once mm-hmm. 
And uh, they all rejected it. They didn't want to hear it. And then finally <laughs> last year I said, you know what? Missouri is now in the SEC. And that was what convinced them that Missouri should be at least <laughs> they should actually consider the option of, of, of considering Missouri a southern state. I actually think Missouri is actually a southern state for me. I think it uh, it probably feels more it feels more to me I, I don't disagree with that I think it feels more southern than than definitely after living in Illinois for a while and and or Ohio covering or uh, yeah, Indiana exactly yeah or Iowa any of the states around us pretty much to the north and the west even Kansas very midwestern yeah it definitely has a more southern more more yeah. southern vibe to it for sure especially on food yes exactly fried chicken we have fried chicken we have barbecue so. what's what's your favorite barbecue in the city. I always give two answers. One, I like Joe's Kansas City, which was formerly known as Oklahoma Joe's. They changed their name uh, just because they're consistent and they're really good, but they're consistent. Yeah. Um, and then LC's I really like as well. I, I think on a really good day, LC's is maybe my favorite, but I think they're very they're they can be inconsistent. But and also two very different you know restaurants, both in gas stations. Uh, you know, I think if people who here in Kansas City know that a lot of the greatest places to eat in Kansas City are in old gas stations for some reason. Uh, but they're very two very different, still very different. You know, the smoker is actually inside LC's, which kind of turns me off only because you always leave there smelling like smoke. For I at mean, least a week. Yeah, I mean, it's in your hair, <laughs> it's in your clothes, you know. Um, whereas, you know, Joe's Kansas City, I consider more what I call, you know, it's white collar barbecue. It's a lot of, you know, you get a lot of people there during lunchtime who are like in suits, you know. Uh, so very different, very different feel. Yeah. Well, where'd you go to school? Where'd you go to undergrad? I went to Northwestern up in Chicago. Oh, I didn't realize you went to Evanston. Yep. Uh, Northwestern University for undergraduate. And then I did my law degree at the University of Michigan. Okay. Yeah. I knew you were, I knew you were at Michigan for law. I didn't realize you were in, uh, in Evanston. Those are both, uh, good big tent schools. I went to Illinois for undergrad. So. Urbana? Champaign? Oh, Okay. Yeah, so we were down there. Yeah, that's uh, very Midwestern. <laughs> that's very Midwestern. No, no doubt. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Surrounded by cornfields. That's right, yes. <laughs> I think that, that pretty well defines uh, the Midwest. Yeah, it's like a little patch of liberalism uh, amidst like a, a sea of conservative uh, conservatism in the, in central I feel Illinois. Like most universities are most, most university towns are. Yeah, for sure. Are yeah, yeah. Univers- Ann Arbor was that way. Ann Ar- for sure. yeah, I was just going to say Ann, Ann Arbor, Arbor much definitely way, yeah. similar feel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh man, I haven't been to. I was going to say that food wise, uh, Ann Arbor. Uh, I'm sure it's like every every time someone brings up Ann Arbor, they bring up Zingerman's Deli with you. Yeah, because it's uh, quite frankly, it's pretty much the only place I found that I could actually really enjoy eating in Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor is not really a. Well, at least when I went to law school there, which was a decade ago, over a decade ago. Uh, the food scene, the food was not the attraction. <laughs> yeah, no, not so much. No, I still, I would, I'd be surprised if it is today, but no. I, I haven't been back, so yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to offend any Ann Arbor people, but yeah, I, I haven't been back, but I always just went to Zingerman's and called it good. Exactly. So yeah. when did you, uh, so when did you get into photography? Was it when you were in law school or was it before oh, that? No. My dad gave me, when I was a kid, my dad gave me, um, his Canon AE-1, uh, which was a gift from his mother to him when he came to the United States. So that camera was from the late 60s. And uh, he said, go figure it out. Just don't lose it because it's my it's the only thing that I have that my mother gave me still that I still have. So <clears throat> I, uh, I took the camera and I, I played around with it. And, uh, and this is maybe when I was in middle school. 
and uh, just started taking pictures. And that is obviously this is film, mm-hmm. um, so analog. And um, I uh, and I fell in love with it. Cool. Do you still have that camera? I still do. Awesome. Yeah, I still do have that camera. Although I need to pull it out and use it. It it doesn't work as well as it used to. I probably need to have someone look at it. So I haven't been using it recently. But something's wrong with it. But yeah. Do you still shoot Canon? No, on digital, I moved to Nikon. Okay, I thought so, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, I moved to Nikon because when I first started shooting digital, and it took me a long – I resisted digital for a long time. Um, I, you know, I had sh- always shot film, and um, and I resisted digital for quite some time. And, and when I did start looking at DSLRs, um, the, the Nikon navigation in the back was what really won me over. Uh, I thought that the Nikon navigation in the back end was much more streamlined, much more logical. I think Canon. I, I've kind of taken a look at a couple of Canon cameras recently. I think they've kind of they've they've really improved their back end, and it's much more streamlined, much more like the Nikon system. But I'm a very lo- I have a very logical side to my brain, and I need I need that logic. And still to this day, I would say the one thing that Nikon for me has a great advantage over. De- Canon, as far as I know, unless Canon's changed it, is their white balance setting is so much easier than on the Canon. I hear that. I hear that from a couple of my other photographer friends. Yeah. <laughs> That's like their biggest argument, uh, Nikon versus Canon. Yeah, the white balance the white balance setting is far more easy to I think it's much more user friendly than the Canon. Yeah, fair enough. So yeah. Cool. Well, so where'd your parents immigrate from? They both came from Taiwan. Um, they came here for grad school. Um, my father was born in Shanghai, but his family, like many, well, actually both of my parents' families, like many families during World War II and when the communists were taking over mainland China, they fled with the Kuomintang, which is the democratic government that then reestablished its capital in Taipei. So not a lot of people know about that relationship, um, the the Sino-Straits relationship between tai- Taiwan and China that both governments to this day claim to be the rightful China. And one is the Democratic Party that left, that were chased out of mainland China by the, the Communist Party. And so a lot of the people who supported the Democratic government fled with the government to Taiwan. So um, there are – and there that's why there's a distinction why some people say that they are Taiwanese because usually when someone says they're Taiwanese, they, they're claiming to be uh, descendant from people who were originally on the island of Taiwan, whereas then you have these people who are Chi- Chinese people who came over to Taiwan. Um, and that would be what most of my parents are. It's still a fairly contentious relationship, yeah, between – Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, gotten better i think i think both sides have relaxed a little bit well i think i think communist china has relaxed the people's republic has has relaxed a little bit um yeah fair enough well uh so you so you're in law school um and you decided to to start a food blog yeah yes i decided to start a food blog how's that for transition (laughs) well the food blog was really it was just a journal i mean i you know, I, I really like to eat. I like to travel, and I like to photograph. And until the the blog or the internet came I, about, I know, was, I know, I know, you hate the word blog, so I apologize. Well, no, for that. no, I, I mean, well, I only hate the word blog because of what it. I mean, all the baggage that it has now taken on. At the time, blogs were sort of kind of this amorphous uh, quantity. No one really knew. It was just sort of one of those things. It was a phenomenon. You know, it was like, okay, well, now the internet enables us to do all these things, including any Joe can get on the internet and have a website, which was very exciting 
at the time, and also um, also a lot of very very little rules, you know. And so, you know, I started my blog only because I like to photograph and I like to write and I like to eat, and there was no other way I could combine all of those things until the internet made it possible for me to put photos up with text and write about my travels or my eating. And so literally I started my blog as just a creative outlet for me in law school. I um, was able to combine all my interests in one place. So it was a very efficient. And so I just kind of kept a journal of where I was eating. I didn't really think anyone would read it. Um, I didn't put my name on it because the internet's kind of a creepy place, as I later <laughs> discovered, uh, which is true. Uh, but also, more importantly, turns out it still is. <laughs> it's still, yeah. Okay, fair enough. It still is. It's probably even creepier. Well, I don't know. Yeah, it's probably creepier now. More trolls. But, yeah, I'm sorry. There's more trolls now. Yeah, right. For sure. And also, more importantly, I think a lot of people don't understand this, but I was a law school student at the time. I didn't have a job yet, and I didn't want potential employers googling my name and finding out that I had this. You know, alter ego life. God, why would you? If you're going to be a lawyer, why would you ever have a passion other than the law? I know. (laughs) The law is a very jealous, is a very jealous uh, uh, taskmaster. I should say they they only, yeah, law firms are very jealous entities. So (laughs) if very selfish, (laughs) they are. Yeah, they they are in the business of owning their employees. So. Uh, so I didn't want my name out there for so for that for those two reasons I kept my name off my blog and to this day it's still not on there because um, it's really not about me it's about you know it's about food and people places that I go meet no doubt what was the uh, so what was the catalyst uh, did you finish law school oh yeah okay oh yeah by the time I started I was so in debt with law school debt that there's no way I could have I mean there. You know, it's like it would be ridiculous for me not to finish. So, you know, once I went in, I knew I had to finish. Um, yeah, finished. I graduated. Um, took the bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked for a law firm. Um, did the whole, you know, paid off my debt as quickly as I could. When did you decide to kind of take that plunge and, and become, you know, ult- focus on, you know, ulterior epicure and f- your photography full time? Well, it's funny. I think there's a I think there's a, a misunder, misunderstanding out there, or there's this misguided belief that bloggers can make a whole lot of money. Maybe there are. There, I'm sure there are a few bloggers who've made a very successful career out of blogging. I can think of a of a couple, a few, but that really takes a lot of effort, and you really have to be willing to put yourself out there. And I was not in. Uh, you know, to a certain extent, still am not willing to do that. Um, you know, I don't have any advertisement on my blog, so I, I think that, that people. It's funny when people say, "Oh, you left the law firm to, to be a blogger," and I'm like, "No, no one would leave a law firm job to be a blog. You can't make a living blogging." Um, but, but I think to the to answer your question, I decided that I just couldn't do the law thing anymore. Um, and I actually left not really knowing what I was going to do. I had the blog, but the blog, like I said, was just sort of my own little journal. But by then, you know, I had developed a surprisingly large following. Um, but it, I, the blog never entered into my evaluation of whether or not I should leave or whether or not I could have a, I could feed myself after the law. The blog was just there. It just happened to be what I was most known for, but it was not, you know, it was not, it was not the thing that I that made me jump, you know, walk off a financial cliff and leave the law firm. 
Um, and really, photography wasn't really either. Um, I didn't really know what I was going to do after I left the law firm. It was very scary. Uh, and I just sort of fell into what I do now, which is photography and some writing, um, only because I had gotten so many requests after I left. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I was looking at like your approach to photography and projects, it seems like it's really relationship driven. It really is, and that's very perceptive of you to notice that. Um, it's it's relationship driven, and and a lot of those relationships are developed um, are are closely aligned with the way I like to eat and the values that I bring to. Uh, to I guess the restaurant culture, or the things that I value in in eating and restaurant culture. Um, so yes, that's very true. So what so what are those values, or what do you value, or what do you like to eat? Well, I just like good food. You know, I think, uh, and when I say that, I just mean food that's cooked well, um, that focuses on flavor, focuses, and and that that requires a certain degree of of care in the product. You have to know, you have to know quality in the product. You have to be someone who, um, appreciates it, will find it. And then once they get the quality product, they, they know how to treat it and they know what to do with it in order to make it delicious, which in sometimes some cases is do nothing at all or do very little. And, um, I, I think, you know, my blog over the past couple of years has changed in the sense I was recently interviewed about this. It was really interesting. It got me thinking about this and I've written about it on my blog before. But my blog is slowly changing. I think that the the scope of it is changing. Um, you know, there there are enough people out there sort of fixated and obsessing over the minutia of restaurant industry and and restaurants and meals. And I used to be sort of that blogger who would go into a restaurant and eat, and then I would write about it in, in some detail on my blog. And I've moved away from that. Actually, I've moved away that from that for, for many years. And sort of instead of focusing on all the details of, of a meal or a food, I, I kind of sort of I, – I paint with broader strokes now and – and more of a commentator on the restaurant industry. And one of the things that I've become that I sort of I've taken up is I've become very critical of food media because I think food media, well, food media has become so so huge in the in the world. And it drives a lot of what consumers um, it drives consumer direction. It it sort of directs traffic to places and people and foods and restaurants. And um, I think that there is we've sort of lost touch with what quality is the the discussion is no longer about quality um it used to be that you know when you would read food media it, they would be very educational they would teach their readership about quality you know this is what you look for this is how you know that something's cooked properly this is how you know that a tomato is ripe and i think now recently it's moved away from that in the last few years and now it's driven by names it's driven by celebrity. It's it's driven by spectacle, and there is less of a discussion on quality. And what's that? What that's done is that it is breeding a less educated and less discerning consumer base. And so then, what you have is you have lemmings who are just following the crowd, and they're going to places not because they know why it's good, um, but they're just told that it's good. So. Well, and and they're skipping uh, the thing I love about uh, about your blog uh, about your your Instagram is uh, is that it's to to me 
it's not just the meal, it's the experience. And so it's the experience around the meal. It's the city you're in. It's, uh, you know, if that's a bike ride or if that's a run that you're going on or if it's enjoying coffee in the morning, it's it's not just the one meal in the evening and you're documenting every course. That's uh, right. And and I really enjoy that. Like, um, And I can see that in, in some of your other projects as well, both your projects actually, um, is, is shifting to more of that experience and, and th- that more holistic approach. And I like that. I, I think it's just, it's more genuine. It's, it's not this, uh, you know... Uh, like you say, it's not this going and seeing a celebrity chef and, and experiencing this meal and, and documenting it. I, I, th- I think it's, it's rich. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. That's very nice to hear. And also I think I, I, I've sort of taken on, I see myself now in the ability that now that I've built this platform and this readership that I, I now have a platform from which I can then sort of champion those who I don't think are getting their, their due in, in mainstream media, you know, I, I, I talk a lot of, I, I focus a lot on restaurants that I love to eat at because they're, they're, the cooking is great. They're not the most famous restaurants and oftentimes they're, they're completely unknown or obscured, uh, in the mainstream. But I think they're the ones who really are doing a great job. And those are the ones I focus on. And, and going back really quickly to the Instagram thing, I think that whole phenomenon is very funny because, you know, I have people who tell me, oh, I love your photos on Instagram. Well, first of all, I'm kind of an Instagram purist. Not that I look down upon people who post, who use professional photos in Instagram, because I actually now have started a, uh, another separate account, Instagram account for my professional photos or just like my DSLR photos. But my Instagram account, the Ulterior Epicure Instagram account, is only iPhone photos. And um, it really is just a way for me to bookmark life. I have more followers than I deserve probably because I don't even know why these people follow me because part, most of the stuff is probably not what they want to see. I know most people follow me probably for the food aspect of it, but if you follow me on Instagram, you know that probably the vast majority of my posts have nothing to do with food at all. It it really is more like what you were talking about. It it kind of is just a bookmarker for me. It's kind of like a travel dialogue, diary and dialogue about the things that interest me in life. And there's a lot of food, uh, no doubt. There's a lot of coffee. I spend a lot of time in coffee shops, um, we'll, but we'll, also we'll get there. <laughs> but a lot of things, you know, you, you you'll know, you see them. I, I'm really interested in architecture. I'm really interested in history. Um, I think it all ties together, though. I, I it, mean, it does to me. It makes sense. But what I'm saying is that you know, if you go through my Instagram account and people are like, and and a lot of people have asked me like, have you bought any followers? And I'm like, no. Why why would I buy followers? They're like, well, we see that you have like you know thousands and thousands of followers and you only get like a few likes. And I'm like, well, that's because Every time I post something about food, I get far more likes because that's what people are following me for is the food. They want to see food. Um, and if I were to post a picture of something that interests me, some some strange little historical reference or something that I see that you know pleases me but has nothing to do with food, I I get very few likes on those. And it, it you know and it's it's in this culture of like you know like mongering. Um, it's 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 kind of funny because people are so focused on the likes and for me yeah it's nice to be nice to get that feedback you know i think a lot of people live off of that feedback of that instant like you know adrenaline rush when they get all these likes and people are looking at their stuff and commenting and for me it's not it's not that at all i i keep posting pictures that i know people won't like just because you know i i like them you know my instagram feed is very much me it's it's it tells you about me um 
and and for whatever reason still people want to follow and they only like the food photos so go figure <laughs> there you go i like it i i give you likes on the coffee ones and and some of the the running ones and you know occasionally the food ones <laughs> yeah there you go like i go running and i'll it's sort of a bookmarker like i went running here you know like for me it's just a way to mark my life yeah Oh, absolutely. No, it makes sense. So, so then walk me through a little on, on your approach to photography and, um, you know, kind of how do you, how do you approach projects like, uh, you know, if that's Metawood or if it's, you know, doing, going and kind of documenting, or if it's a cookbook project that you're working on, you know, how, how do you kind of approach that? Yeah, it's, it's kind of for, for, Projects like the one you're talking about with Meadowood, it's like, it's the, for those who don't know, it's 12 days of Christmas. It's 12 nights at this three Michelin starred restaurant in Napa, 12 nights, 12 different chefs, um, 12 dinners. And they're all very high level chefs from all around the world. And, you know, Christopher Costo called me a few years ago when I first got involved with this and he had come to Kansas city at my invitation to cook at a charity dinner that I co-host here every year. And, uh, you know, he told me, you know, he that he really enjoyed working with a lot of these young and upcoming chefs that I had found and put together for this dinner. And he does this dinner that he uh, the Twelve Days of Christmas series, and uh, he w- he wanted to also use that dinner series as a platform for sort of maybe focusing and introducing younger chefs and giving them a platform um, that they don't they wouldn't normally get. And so he asked me to kind of help him find chefs. And years since, you know, he, this event has become so popular that, you know, people are probably knocking down his door to come to, to cook at Meadowood. So he doesn't have a problem finding chefs anymore, but it, it's about the, it, like you said in the beginning, my relationship with Christopher Costo is why I photograph for Meadowood. And also because I very much admire him as a, as a chef and as a, a mentor to the people in his kitchen, and also as a very, very talented chef who creates delicious things. And he also understands quality, and he also has integrity. So all of these things added together are are why I like working with Christopher and why I work with him. As far as my photography in during the event – you know, there is that basic function of they need someone to document the event. Um, you know, the photos that I take are used for press. In fact, the San Francisco Chronicle for the last, well, as long as I've been doing it, which is four years now, um, you know, the next, very next day, they post a little uh, summary of the previous night's dinner. And I have to submit X number of photos to the San Francisco Chronicle the next morning. So, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm you know, most people think, oh, what a great, you know, job, you go there and you get to eat all these dinners, you get to photograph, you get to stay in the kitchen and see all these great things. Sounds like a dream job. It is. I love it. But what most people don't understand is that a photographer's job isn't done when everyone else is, you know, cleaned up the kitchen, gone home to sleep. The photographer stays up all night and edits photos. So I get very little sleep during this event. But my approach is very photojournalistic. I've always been a very, um, I've always used my photography to tell stories that's the most important thing for me is when I, when someone looks at my photo, I want them to get as much out of it as possible. I want to convey as much about that setting, that situation, that time, that place, that flavor, whatever it is that I'm trying to convey. I want the photo to be as filled with information as possible. So a lot of my photography in the kitchen is very instructive, meaning I focus on process. I love catching uh, if, if someone's making something, I love taking a photo where you will see as many steps all in one photo as possible so that you understand what's going on. You understand a little bit about where the project began and where it's going and what the final product might look like or the final plate might look like. That's very much how I think as a photographer is 
how do I maximize the story? How do I maximize the amount of information I can convey in one photo, one frame? Oh, I love that. I was talking to, uh, I was talking to, to Dave Barron, uh, chef at Nags, he's a friend. Um, and, and we were talking about Elbily and he was talking about some of his favorite menus that he's done at Next. And, uh, and that was the, the one menu he said, you know, I, I didn't truly appreciate Elbily when I ate there. He's like, what really caused me to appreciate it was when I prepared it and when I prepared their menu. Right. And, and he's like, when I, when I started it, I was kind of like, all right, we're doing this. It's a retrospective and, you know, it's showing appreciation for, you know, one of the greatest restaurants in the world. Uh, cause it was right after they had closed and, and it was kind of almost like this, he's like, you know, this living museum piece, you know, to, to, to do this menu. He's like, but then I started preparing it and he's like, it Gave me, gave me a whole new appreciation. And so to like kind of work through that process and understand that, um, I think probably, you know, at the end of the day for you on a, from a photography side, um, you know, probably it's, it's a similar result where, you know, taking those process pictures and, and taking those images along the way, um, uh, makes those, the finished ones, you know, that much more meaningful. That's, that's absolutely right. In fact, uh, I know, you know, that I know Dave very well, and that's actually the dinner where Dave and I met, um, oh, interesting. And, I didn't know yeah, that. And I had, I had eaten at Elbily a couple of times. And I will say to this day, I think the Elbily menu was probably my favorite. Maybe the first menu, the, the Paris 1905, was also very good. But I really loved the Elbily dinner at Next because I think it maximized what that restaurant's concept, I think, should be about, which is they take you, they take the diner to a time and place that a diner, a diner could not access otherwise. You know, Elbily at the time had already closed, so there's no way that anyone could ever experience that again. And Next revived it, and it really was able to transport diners to another time and place that they couldn't access access on their own. You know, if you were to cook a dinner based off of, they did Sicily, for example, what is feasible for someone to fly to Sicily? Maybe not everyone, but it is feasible to fly to Sicily to do that. But the one thing that the, the time element, I think, is really fascinating in that in his recreation of that meal. And not only did they recreate Elbily dishes, but what was so great about that dinner was they recreated Elbily dishes throughout the different decades. So even if they, they prepared dishes at El, from Elbily's menu that I had never had because they were cooked decades ago. Um, so that was, that was great. But about the documentation, it kind of like comes full circle here because the reason I met Dave was because he came out of the kitchen and he came out and said, you know, a lot of the things, a lot of the serving pieces that we use here for this dinner, you will notice look very much like the ones that they used at El Bali. And he said, you know, I, I use your photos to, to see what they were using for service pieces. So it was kind of really, you know, interesting that, you know, on the cooking end, he was doing this documenting and reproducing, and I was providing, you know, the images that allowed him to recreate and to access, you know, uh, the the serving pieces and to understand how they were made and what thing, how things were served. So that was a really, uh, that's a really uh, sort of neat little bow that we just tied there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and uh, and to take it one step further, you know, they wouldn't have been able to do any of those dishes from Elbily if Elbily wouldn't have taken the time and hit pause on developing new dishes and go back and document their whole process and that's right. and create that giant, you know, the, all the giant retrospective that they did. That's right. So that's really cool. Yeah, what a I, I that's one of the one restaurant that uh, was will forever be on my bucket list. Elbowly, <laughs> yes, oh yeah, yes. absolutely. You and so, many many others. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> forever and ever. Um, cool. Well, uh, well, let's chat about travel a little. Where uh, you know, uh, and then I want to get to coffee and and chat a little bit about drift because I'm I'm kind of obsessed with that that magazine right now. Sure. Um, what's uh, you know, what's what, where, where are some of your favorite places to travel and, you know, kind of what do you have up and coming? 
Well, I think if anyone who follows me will know that I've been sort of obsessed with Scandinavia for the past couple of years. What? what? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I've been very lucky. I've met a, a great chef in Norway who's just become a very good friend. And he and I are working on a, um, a collaborative uh, series of dinners called the Friends of Lusfarkat. And Lusfarkat is the name of his restaurant. It's in Bergen, Norway. It's on the west coast of Norway. It's the second largest city in the country. It is the rainiest city in Europe. Um, and he and I sort of have created this this dinner series where every two months he will find a chef or you know we will work together and find a chef from another country to bring to Norway. And it's sort of an altruistic kind of a cultural exchange, uh, a chance for Christopher to introduce someone else um, to his Norway. And we will take a day or two and we'll go tour the area around Bergen. We will go and visit maybe like a dairy farm or we'll go visit a sheep farm. The last one we did, we went to a sheep farm and the farmer slaughtered uh, one of the sheep for us, which was then used for dinner. And all the guest chefs then cook, uh, use sort of the ingredients that we find along the way and the inspiration that they get from having learned about the Norwegian culture, a very small slice, whatever slice of Norwegian culture they see, and incorporating that into a dinner that they cook at Christopher's restaurant. So that has taken me to Norway every two months for the past almost two years, um, which has then allowed me then to sort of hop around Scandinavia. And I love everything about Scandinavia. So I've spent a lot of time there. I love cold weather. I love, um, I, I don't, I'm not particularly a friend of the sun or the sun is not a friend of mine. So I like that sort of dark dreary. <laughs> I know most people are probably thinking I'm crazy, but I love that. I love, I love the dark, long winters there, the cold, dark, long winters. I love that kind of, of um, weather. And I also just really appreciate Scandinavian culture. They're very socially minded. They're very clean. They're very organized. For a foreigner, it's very easy to get around because everyone there speaks English embarrassingly well for an American. I mean, you listen to them speak English and you're just thinking, gosh, you know, not only do they speak their own language, but they speak my language probably better than I do. Um, and... Uh, and and I just really enjoy – the other reason is because I, I love history and Scandinavia was relatively untouched during the world wars. So their cities are, are very well uh, preserved historically and I find that just amazing and awesome. Cool. One of our uh, – mutual friend of ours, Justin Cogley, he, he went over there, yeah? Yes. He was actually the first uh, guy that I had invited over to that dinner that he kicked off the whole dinner series t- almost two years ago. Oh, so cool. I didn't realize yeah. he was the first. Yeah. We're just we're just completing all these circles today no, in this no, show. No problem. <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> He's, I, that's one of the things I love every time I go um, to, to Auberge and, and, and get to eat uh, Justin's meals is I, I feel like Justin always makes it an experience and always makes it about more than just food. So if that's taking us, uh, a, you know, taking people, anyone who shows interest basically in, in running and or hiking, um, uh, taking them and, and showing them trails up in Big Sur or show like, he's so proud of where he's at and he does so much exploring and, and just spends so much time up on the trails and, and training in addition to in, in the kitchen. And, and so that's why I always go, there and I'm like you, you kind of get up from both sides you leave there exhausted but it's it's always um, a, a great experience out in Carmel and and he's a perfect fit for for that on, on the you know to go to Norway and to cook from you know to be able to cook locally because he's he does he does that so well where he's at 
Yes, and in fact, that's the reason why I thought of him. Uh, he, Justin, also I don't know if you know, hosts a, um, a dinner, sort of a week a weekend dinner uh, thing every year called Rediscovering Coastal Cuisine, where he'll invite um, chefs from around the country. And this past year, actually, one from Denmark, and uh, to come over to Auberge and Carmel, and for three days we sort of tour the coast. And I've actually been photographing this event for three years now as well, and focusing on the coast and cooking from the coast and what is it. What does it mean to cook from the coast? And so he immediately popped into my mind when um, Christopher and I started this project together in in Bergen because Bergen is on the coast. It's on the west coast, and uh, it's a lot of seafood, a lot of fresh seafood. So you know, they when Justin came over to to Norway, we went snorkeling for. Uh, and diving for you know scallops and sea urchin in in the fjords and and so there was a you know that sort of overlap where they're both chefs in two very different climates two very different coasts but they still work with aquaculture um, and so that's why he was a natural fit for the first dinner that we did. Yeah, I really want to go to that rediscovering coastal cuisine. Yeah, you should come next year if he does it. Yeah, or this year if he does it. Again. Yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely. He he wanna he invited um, my wife and myself last year, and and it just didn't align with our schedules, and I've been bummed about it ever since. Yeah, Justin, if you're Justin, if you're listening, you got to do it again then this year. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> he, he's on the hook. <laughs> oh, very nice, cool. Well, uh, what? So t- let's talk coffee. And uh, I have a crippling caffeine addiction, uh, and coffee is my uh, vessel of choice to to enjoy caffeine. Um, how did you? How'd you get? I, how'd you? How'd you get to know Adam Goldberg? And how'd you get connected with Drift? Well, uh, well through the, through the blogging world, a- Adam. Adam uh, is quite much he's quite a bit younger than I am and uh, he kind of came in I don't know exactly when he came onto the blogosphere but he kind of arrived very early on and he was extremely young at the time uh, he was still in college when he started his blog and immediately became you know uh, you know one of the blogs to read because he was able to he you know he had the resources to travel and he ate at the best restaurants not just in the United States but all over the world and he also knew how to take a photo he was he, you know he was figuring out how to work the DSLR and and getting some really good shots and so people like Adam and I very early on were providing information that and documenting it in a way that a lot of chefs uh, d- had not were not able were not privy to they couldn't they they couldn't get out of their kitchens and so they turned to the internet for information and they found people like Adam and me who basically handed them a, an index to photos and and notes from kitchens all over the world and so Adam and I sort of knew of each other through online and uh, and I was anonymous and fiercely anonymous I, I protected my identity very fiercely back then and so I didn't really I didn't really fraternize with other bloggers I didn't really. I stayed away from restaurant industry people and definitely chefs, and I kind of kept to myself. But Adam, uh, I don't know if he reached out to me or I reached out to him. Either way, we got in contact, and he just seemed like a nice guy. You could just tell, you know, even though I'd never met him, you could just tell he wasn't in it like me. He wasn't in it for the fame. He wasn't in it for the 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 whatever, the fluff. He was really a guy who, like me, loved to travel and loved to eat. And was very honest about it. He, like me, paid for all of his own meals. You knew he didn't have any other agenda. He's just, he was just an enthusiast, and he just seemed like a really nice guy. So we met. I remember we met for lunch at Eleven Madison Park in New York City. That's where we first met, and uh, and we just became friends. Uh, and we've since traveled all over the world together. Um, and uh, he was actually kind of the one that got me into coffee culture. I've always loved coffee, but I cannot. My body won't tolerate caffeine. 
So I, I've never really been into coffee culture in that sense. Um, but I love the smell of coffee. I love drinking. I love the taste of it. I love how bitter it is. I love how rich it is. And, uh, I also love going to coffee shops. It's a great place for people to work, uh, for me to work, you know, someone who exists almost entirely online now. Um, it's a great place for me to just sit and do my work. Um, so yeah, so he and I sort of kind of have that, have that overlap now, and he started this magazine called Drift with his girlfriend, Daniela Velasco, who is an amazing graphic designer, and she does all the layout, and Adam does the majority of the photography. And his sister uh, is the editor, and she kind of helps to round up all the writers, and they kind of pulled me in to kind of help on the copy editing, and uh, and I've written you know one piece for volume two. Um, so it's a very small, you know, knit kind of group that we we have there publishing Drift, and now they have their second magazine, Ambrosia, which I just finished copy editing last week for their second issue on that one, and that's about regional cuisine. Yeah, it's another great one for sure. Yeah, yeah, Drifts. I I've really uh, I enjoy. I enjoy how Drift kind of manages. So Drift focuses on, you know, a, a place for each volume, essentially. So it was New York and then it was Japan. It was it was New York and then it was Tokyo and then um, Cuba. Yeah. Hoyana, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so each issue focuses on a different city around the world. And what I really love about Drift and what I, I just I think Adam and Daniela and Alyssa really nailed it with this magazine is, is that it is it's everything that food media isn't anymore it's educational it's anthropological it dives very deep it you when you pick up the issue it's also just stunningly gorgeous i mean adam's a very talented photographer and he has a, also a very photojournalistic eye and he also is able to tell stories through his images and also give you a very rich uh context of where you are and you know the feeling of the place and so these these issues um new york tokyo havana and there will be another one coming out soon that i'm currently copy editing and i can't say what city we're going to but it's pretty cool um is that it's really focused on people think it's about coffee it is about coffee but really it's about the culture of the place i mean you've read the three issues that are out i'm assuming you've read all three of them or have you looked yes. through all three of them yeah i've read all three and uh, coffee is sort of the excuse to talk about these places you know um, coffee is sort of the storyteller actually of the story of New York or the story of Tokyo or the story of Havana. It's the, it's the catalyst. And then you have all the stories That's that right. c- come up from it. Right. That's right. And, um, it's, it's really, I, I just think it's such a very well done, um, uh, magazine in, in a time when people sort of think of, of print media as dying, um, for Adam to sort of wade full on into print media, um, and do it so well is very reassuring to those of us who very much love that sort of tactile print media. There's still something special about being able to flip through and feel the, the you know feel the copy and 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 read it and and page through it and smell the ink and all those pieces. But I'm I guess I'm old school. Yeah, I am too. I am too. And, and not just that. There is something about the portability of it. You know, I, I know you, you can read stuff, you know, with your Kindle or whatever, the electronic, you know, your iPad. But it's not – it doesn't – you can't just pick it up and flip it open as easily. There, there's, you And you know, don't retain it as well. I, I think there's been, like, studies that say you don't retain it as well if you're reading it on a, you know, on a digital screen. I don't know if that's I, true or I might no, have just made that, that up. Well, I, I, I believe that only because I, I'm a very spatial – I have a – I'm spatially oriented. 
Um, I'm, I'm very good with directions and I'm very good with orienteering and, and I'm very spatially oriented. And I remember distinctly in college back then when no one took notes by law school, I was taking notes on my laptop, but in college I was still, you know, notebook, pencil, like, you know, pen taking notes. And I remember specifically how I would remember things based on where it was located on a page or the way I had written it. You know, if it was, you know, slightly, you know, if it was a note that I sort of like kind of crammed into a margin, I re- would remember those sort of little nuggets because of where they were on the page. Like I'm a very spatially oriented person. So when you have sort of this like computer formatting and everything's very uniform, yeah, I can see how people would not I would have a harder time, you know, locating information in their memory. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, that probably like that being spatially minded helps you, you know, when you're framing images and when you're looking at, um, you know, if that's a location for a shoot or whatever it is, or you're in a kitchen, you, you can kind of, you're, you're a little more spatially aware and you can instinctually know where, where you need to be to get a good shot. Yes. And, and, and going back to, you were asking about my photography, there's something that I kind of have realized about me and my photography in the past couple of years. I've realized actually that framing to me is secondary to color. Uh, for me, color is really important. You, you will notice that my photography is very—it's—it's—it's it's, it's kind of—it's kind of bland in the sense that my colors are very sort of straightforward. You know, now there's there's sort of this cool—the um, trend, cool trend for photography is sort of this desaturated grayscale. You know, that sort of that dusty vintage look to photos. A lot of wedding photos, a lot of event photography, and a lot of commercials. Um, have become sort of like commercial photography has become sort of like tinkered with to the point where they run it through some kind of filter. And my photos are very color saturated. Um, I, 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 they're very true to the color of whatever it is I'm taking. They're very, they're, it's very realistic in that sense. And I've realized in, in editing my own work that if for some reason the white balance is a little off, but the, the picture is perfectly framed, I will like it less than a picture that is not as well-framed, but the color spot on. I don't know why that is. I haven't figured that out, but that's something for me is very important is color. No, I mean, you can see it when you, you know, when you, when you look at your images or you look at your, um, you know, your feed, it, it is, it, yeah, it's very color, color rich. Yeah. Color rich. And, and the white, ba- I'm, I'm a sucker for white balance. Like I'm very, i I fixate on white balance. Well, so what other uh, what other projects are you working on now before you or while you're on the road or before you hit the road again? Well, I've got this uh, d- series of dinners that I'm photographing um, for a friend in Minneapolis. Um, his name is Gavin Kaysen. Actually, he's sort of the one that kind of got the ball rolling on my photography career in in a little way. But he he's a chef um, and he has a restaurant in Minneapolis called Spoon and Stable. And he's doing uh, four charity dinners at his restaurant this year, uh, all focusing on um, Minneapolis charities. And he's inviting – this year they happen to be all four New York chefs, uh, big-name chefs, April Bloomfield, Michael White, um, Daniel Balud. And they're all flying to Minneapolis um, in four different times and uh, doing this dinner, cooking dinner together. And I've He's hired me to photograph um, these four dinners to sort of document them. Were you? So, did you go out for Pebble Beach Food and Wine? I did not. Nope. I did not go to Pebble Beach Food and Wine. Um, so I've got that going on. Um, and then 
I, I was actually at a meeting yesterday uh, to photograph uh, a cookbook that's coming out. I don't know that I'm, if I'm allowed to say what the cookbook is, but it'll be an exciting cookbook. Um, yes. So I'll be photographing a cookbook over the summer. Is that your second book? It will be my third one for photography. What one am I missing? I have the Kansas City... Uh... I had the Blue Stem I wrote and I shot with Chefs Colby and Megan Geralt's. Their second cookbook, Made in America, I photographed but did not write. And this one, um, I will be photographing and uh, I will not be writing it. I will just be the photographer on this one. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're going to keep busy. Yeah. And then also, you know, the, the Norwegian uh, collaborative series, the dinner series is still going. So my next trip is uh, at the end of May. I'll be there in early June. So I'll be back in Scandinavia then. Very excited about that. I, I need to find I need to find time to get out there. That's a place I really want to travel to and explore. Scandinavia, yes. I Yes, you should. Copenhagen. I love Copenhagen. I've spent so much. This, I This last trip to Copenhagen, I spent my birthday there in March. And it was my fifth trip in a year to the city. And um, I've, I've actually covered a lot of ground in Copenhagen and around Denmark. And I, it will not be my last trip for sure. But um, but I, I very much loved, I love Copenhagen. Cool, yeah. man. Well, dude, I've really enjoyed this. It's been great getting to, uh, yeah, getting to chat. Yeah, thanks for asking Yeah, absolutely. I've really enjoyed it. And um, really quick, we'll do a couple of like quick hitters, and then uh, and then I will uh, let you go. Okay. So uh, kind of favorite simple meal would be what? Salads. I love salads. Yes, I love vegetables. I love, yes, I love salads. So fresh. Fresh, simple, light. Nice. Uh, drink of choice. I was going to say coffee. Coffee was the first thing that came to mind. All right. So what kind of, what type of coffee? What's your, uh, well, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, it's funny because Adam and I are very, well, coffee drinkers and I are very different because first of all, I can't drink the caffeine. So I, I have very low tolerance for the caffeine. Um, but I can't say that I love the third wave, the third wave coffee. I know that's what's hip and cool right now with the whole pour overs. It's way, way, way too light and acidic for me. It's for me. It's like drinking dishwater with like vinegar in it. I. It's not for me. I like dark roasted. I like that roasty, toasty, chocolatey, nutty. So I oftentimes just to be safe, I, I my drink order usually is a cortado or an espresso, or if I want a little bit lighter, an americano. But it's got to be a coffee that's not too acidic. I don't really like acid in my coffee. So um, usually it's probably the cortado or Gibraltar, one of those two. A little bit of dairy. No, I agree with you on the third wave stuff. It's too grassy. It's too. I just don't like the, the mouthfeel. I know. Get... And baristas are, you know, giving me these. I know like, I sound really snobby and no, shitty no, I don't saying snobby. that. But... I think actually it sounds uncool for me to say that. You know, when I go into a coffee shop, I'm like, hi, do you have decaf? Like, that's the, the way uncoolest thing to say. But now I think, you know, there are more coffee shops that are accommodating decaf drinkers. But the, the, the other thing they'll say is they'll say, oh, we've got this great pour over. It tastes like lemon and blueberry. And I'm thinking to myself, I want coffee. If I want lemon or blueberry, I'd go get lemon juice or I'd go drink blueberry. You know, like, I want coffee. I want, I want chocolate. I want nuts. I want roasty toasty. I want, you know, I want, I want that, a cocktail. If I want a I cocktail, want I'll get a cocktail. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> fair enough. Um, what's your, where's your favorite place to, uh, to run in Kansas city? Oh man, I, I'm a very practical runner. I run not necessarily because I love it. I know that's probably like blasphemy to say on the show. No, I don't run because really. I love it. I run because it's the most efficient exercise. It's like I can get out there. It's so easy. I just lace up my shoes and I go. Uh, but there's this park out by the river where I go. It's called English Landing. And I. it's got a great trail that's one mile out, one mile back. So the loop is two miles. And it's relatively flat. Beautiful view of the river. 
relatively uncrowded. Have you had the chance to run out at Rimrock Farm at all in Lawrence? No, I haven't. So it's a, I believe it's a private farm, but it's a, it's been the NCAA cross country championship has been held there. Um, Is it mostly trail times. running then? Yeah, it's like, uh, it's all, yeah, it's dirt. Um, it's not really trail, but it's dirt. Okay. Um, but it's a, it's a nice, nice place if you can, uh, again, I don't know the farmer. I don't know if it's totally private or if you, you just kind of need to look for Is it. Is it hilly? Yeah, it's hilly. Okay. So, uh, you know, it, I'm not a big friend of hills. I, I, you know, I know, I know. You know, it's funny because you see these pictures of me and Justin going like extreme trail rocking. I just want to let you know, I nearly died that day. You and me both. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I had knee surgery last year because I tore my, my uh, meniscus. And uh, that was basically the first run that I, I had done since my it was seven months and I hadn't run. And then he takes me on this. The, the death march? Yeah, I mean, we we went we ascended twenty five hundred feet in two and a half, two and a half miles. No, my we went out. So I've I've gone out with Justin a couple of times. And the first time I went out, it was it was my wife and him, and me. And my wife's a, a fast runner, and I am not fast runner. My my like best times expired years ago, and so to see uh, to see them kind of prance off into the distance, going up <laughs> these like epic climbs and big sur, and me just like sweating more than I've ever sweat in my life and just like just getting crushed and then thinking I'm almost to the top and then looking up and seeing they're like still three quarters of a mile ahead of me and uh and then they're like how's it feeling isn't it beautiful blah 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 and I'm like I'm just trying to catch my breath (laughs) I am also a very fast runner and partly because I am so light I'm a very small person so I, I I am a very fast runner the thing with that trail run for me was I was carrying my like four pound DSLR in a camera bag with me on that. So that was really, that, that was, was mistake. Number one, that was, well, you know, we wouldn't have gotten the pictures that we got from that, which is what the whole point of the thing was. But, but also my lungs, I mean, before I even started sweating, I thought my lungs were just going to drop out of me <laughs> or explode. One of the two, that was the harder thing for me. So no, no doubt. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's always a suffer fest with Justin. Yeah. Always. Ah, nice. Cool, man. Well, uh, well, yeah, well, thanks again. And, uh, yeah, appreciate you taking the time. Oh, well, thanks for having me on. Cool, Good luck. man. Yeah, right. thanks. Talk to you All later. Right, yeah, see you, man. So that was this week's episode with uh, Bonjwing Lee, or uh, as he's known on the net, Ulterior Epicure. Uh, it was great to sit down and chat with him. I hadn't had the opportunity to do that, We've kind of communicated over email and through mutual friends. So to get a sit down and pick his brain on photography and his process, as well as all the incredible places he's visited and traveled to, uh, as well as uh, you know the the meals that he's he's been able to eat in the chefs and restaurants he's gotten to know. Uh, just what an interesting guy I was I was great I definitely wouldn't be as skinny as him if I ate that many meals I'd, I'd weigh at least 300 pounds so you know good for him for staying skinny and eating that much um, but no it was great it was it was great to chat with him and uh, I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode uh, you know thanks again for all the great feedback and you know if you want to reach out and say hey uh, feel free to, to shoot me an email ian at analogshow.com and uh, look forward to bringing you another episode next week Thanks again.